we always hear about the mystery team. The Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, they're in on some big prized free agent plus one mystery team. Well, TJ Zuppi, what if I told you that that mystery team played at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario? What if I told you that the Cleveland Indians were signing Bryce Harper? I would laugh hysterically. Come on, man. That's not happening. No, probably not. But welcome to the Selvius Godcast. I'm Zach Meisel. He's TJ Zuppi. And I had a thought. You know, when the Indians, we, they, they've made a couple of trades. And then when we got word last Friday night that they were dumping Yonder Alonso onto the White Sox, the White Sox were taking every penny of his salary. The thought crossed my mind. I was tabulating the the money they've saved for 2019. And it's somewhere in the neighborhood of about $21.5 million. They're not on the hook for... Uh, Carlos Santana's signing bonus, which I think is like three and a half million a year. So if you got some holes to fill, if you've done all this work to save money in trades, you look at the free agent market, which is for the second straight year moving very slowly. What if the Indians sneak in there and make a play for the biggest name on the market? Is it, is it completely outside the realm of possibility, especially if they move Jason Kipnis, which we know they've wanted to do for over a year now? I think you're insane, and I love insane, especially <laughs> this time of year. I love it. I love the more outside-the-box ideas you can come up with. It's, that's what makes for great off-season speculation. I will say, I don't know that it's – you following this roller coaster ride that I've been on with you through your texts over the past few days. <laughs> I don't know if I'm quite riding to that level of high. I will say, as they've made these moves, part of me, well, it sort of goes back to what I wrote during the winter meetings. Part of me experienced this grave skepticism, pessimist, uh, pessimistic view of what they're doing. I experienced some drawback and seeing the talent that they've lost and trying to figure out how they're going to make it all work. And I see the, the money just melting off the books. And part of me, I guess, wants to buy into that whole narrative that what's going on. This is the middle of your window. Why aren't you out there spending as opposed to selling off pieces? And then there's this other part of me. I, it's the part of me that loves conspiracies. The part of me that watches that series now on Netflix and, and it's about to start to find out whether or not the moon landing was real. I think it's real, but I do love a good conspiracy. That Don't part watch of me, dogs. <laughs> All right, I won't watch. What is dogs? It's just six episodes about the world's best companions, and it'll make you cry. Okay. Well, since that has nothing to do with what I love, and that is conspiracies, even if they're crazy, no way it could happen. I love at least getting my brain to think in ways that I wasn't thinking before that part of me looks at what they're doing and thinks, are they up to something? Are they, are they doing something here that we just don't see the entire picture? And for as much as it would be easy to really hit the panic button, because at this point in the off season, you're, 
you're essentially trying to figure out how much panic and how much patience should be applied to what they're trying to do. While that would be really, really easy, Zach, I do see what could be a bigger picture and maybe more so I think of what I would do in their position and how excited I would be to have the amount of money, the flexibility that they've created. That's all predicated on their ability to turn around and spend it again back on the roster. And we've attempted to nail that down many times over the past few weeks. In fact, I asked them on the conference call. I asked Antonetti specifically that very question. And he, again, sidestepped it. But if that's the case, if they are going to turn around and move this money back to the roster, which we've talked about their need to do off season long, I would be ecstatic about the moves that I had made. It's not that it has made me definitively better in 2019, because I don't think anybody can make that case that it has. But it certainly has opened the door for, for some some moves that I didn't think were going to be possible without trading a starting pitcher. And maybe that even gets different if they do end up moving a Kluber or Bauer. So here's the problem. And let me preface this by saying, I don't think the Indians will sign Bryce Harper. Um, I, I, I Come put, on, you got to own it, man. Well, I would have put the odds at 0.000% uh, up until the last weekend. And now maybe 0.002%. And if they are able to find someone to take on Kipnis's contract, and that's probably going to require attaching something else of value with it, then all of a sudden you're talking about you've saved 35 million or so, and now you're in better position. And so I'd put it at (laughs) 0.008%. But let me say this. You, you know, you, you, this window is weird. Like you extend because we need Carlos to stop Carrasco. saying the word window. Yeah, I we wish really we need to come up with a better word because that's not what that's not how teams view it. At least a lot of teams do not view it as a window. We need to stop with that contention range. <laughs> it feels just like window dressing for what we already have. I don't know. Window dressing the window. Um, but. They, you, you know, okay, you, you signed Carlos Santana, Carlos Carrasco to an extension. So you're planning to have a good rotation for a little while beyond where, when Trevor Bauer is signed and maybe when Corey Kluber is signed, if you trade him, because you're going to have Carrasco, Clevenger, and Bieber for the long term. And you'll toss Tristan McKenzie into that mix next year, or the year after, too. Okay. And you've got Jose Ramirez signed seemingly until the end of time. You know you have Francisco Lindor for three years. So, yeah, this window, this contention range might last in some fashion or another for another four or five years if you make some right proper plays. But Francisco Lindor is here for three, and that's it. And you have to capitalize on that, and you can't waste a year. And that's why I almost think of this like Sashi Brown, where now everyone wants to die on the hill that Sashi Brown was the greatest GM in the history of sports. He was. And, and like, <coughs> he, yes, he did some things that set the Browns up very well and made John Dorsey look like a freaking genius. And at the same time, like, the easy part is shedding salary and accumulating draft picks and trading away talent. The tough part is nailing those draft picks and putting the right talent around Baker Mayfield and and – like, that's, that's the part, Sashi, I don't think he was cut out for. We can talk about the Browns another year. But, like, the Indians have done – I don't want to say they've done the easy part because it's not easy pulling off the trades they've made. But they've done the easier part. 
And now, like, they, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but they have to spend this money. They have to pump these savings back into the roster. And they have to find the, the right way to make use of what they've done. And if you look at the free agent market and it's like, all right, you've saved $21 million. You've saved more from free agents walking out the door. You'll have to put some of that back in toward Bauer and Lindor, who will get raises in arbitration. So let's say you've got like $25 million to spend. All right, well, if you go get like A.J. Pollock, who's the second best outfielder available after Bryce Harper, he's going to cost you a good $15 million a year probably. All right, well, you need help in the bullpen. You probably need a second outfielder. You have questions at third base, questions at catcher. I mean, I don't know if that's enough money to, to go around. If you move Kipnis and then you've saved $35 million or so, maybe you have $40 million to spend, all of a sudden I just think that opens the door to where maybe you can, you can actually have a better roster in 2019 and beyond. And this kind of – this can lead us down a couple paths here. One, I, the more I think about it, the more I think they still probably need to trade a starting pitcher not to save the money, but to fill out this roster because $21 million is not enough to fix the outfield and the bullpen and the infield and everything else. And two, there's a sense, I don't think the Indians think this way. At least I don't think Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff can afford to think this way. I think the Indians PR people and communications and marketing, they might think about this. I don't know if they let it affect their work, but if you look at the landscape of Cleveland sports, when the Indians signed Edwin Encarnacion, it was perfect timing. They had already, they, they went to the World Series. They were on top of the world. The Browns were a mess. You know, the Cavs had LeBron and, and they had won a championship. But that, I think people were like ready to turn their attention to the Indians. And they capitalized on it. They got fortunate that Encarnacion kind of fell into their laps. But they did pony up. And ticket sales went through the roof right after that. Um, and then they won 102 games. And they were the favorites. And like everything for that calendar year was perfect until the Yankees came back from down 0-2. Now things are different. And it's maybe it's just Twitter, maybe it's just talk at the barbershop, whatever. <laughs> Everyone is all in on the Browns. And Baker Mayfield is going to have his face plastered on every billboard in town. And you can just tell the sentiment with the Indians is, what the hell have you guys done this offseason to make me a believer for 2019? And it, that you can't argue that. They haven't done anything. Now, they've set themselves up to be able to do things, but until they do those things, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. And so part of me wonders if, because we, you know, if they're claiming they need to cut payroll a little bit, they can't spend more, and part of that is, is directly related to attendance, well, your attendance is probably not going to be better in 2019 than it was in 2018, especially the way the offseason has started. The one way to maybe build back up those good graces would be to sign someone like Bryce Harper. <laughs> you keep coming back to that. Why do you, why do you have to set the bar so high so that everyone freaks out and even lets themselves because they've gone 70 years without a championship. You have to set the bar high and they have to, I mean, like I don't agree with a lot of the fan sentiment where it's like Dolan's cheap. They're just going to trade away another site. Like the, the, a lot of that talk is so stupid and, and simple and formulaic. But I do think there is a part of, like, they they have Francisco Lindor for three more years, Jose Ramirez for at least five more years, a loaded rotation, and yet this all might go to waste. And they might, like, like fans might not give a shit about this team 
which is still a favorite to get to the playoffs. And, and they've kind of – some of it is self-inflicted. No, I don't disagree with that. But I, I don't think you can look at it that way. I don't think you can just make a decision – based on where you fall within the city and the popularity. You, you make the decision because it's best for your baseball team to go win games. And through that, whether it's in the near term or in the long term or in their situation, both trying to get it done on both fronts, that's the avenue in which you bring in fans. Yes, you can make some moves in the offseason and generate some excitement, but you have to do what's best for the team overall. If you if you do something to appease the fans in the short term that ends up crippling you in the future, why? Why would you do that? That seems silly to me. Now, we're talking, and I don't know how that would apply to the conversation that you're trying to have right now, because I think Bryce Harper would, A, get fans excited now, and B, make them excited for as long as he's in Cleveland. Yeah, and keep it. But I'm having like four conversations I, at once. I here. know it's really tough to follow you right now. I'm like all <laughs> over the map. I I don't even know where to begin. Actually, the next 15 minutes are yours. <laughs> I don't even know where we've been. <laughs> um, so to bring it all back, I I do feel like the Indians have set themselves up for something that we haven't considered. I don't I don't know that I'm willing to go as far as you are. To start talking about that conspiracy. But as they've made these moves, it does seem like there has to be some sort of end game here that goes beyond we need to clear money because we just need to cut payroll. I, I don't think I, I have not felt like that's what they're doing. Doesn't mean that they can't go out and do that and prove us wrong. And then we'll be in a position where we have to look at them and say, what did you even do this offseason? Why did you feel like you're, you're better set up for the future or now? Got to disagree with that. So, you know, they could turn around and surprise us and not add to the payroll, not find a situation where they want to spend money. That'd be really unfortunate. But the whole th- throughout the whole offseason, the feeling that I've had is that that's not what they're going to do. They have to prove that. They have to show us. They have to spend the money. Not only spend the money, but spend it wisely, not just on anybody, just to spend it. But th- throughout these moves, I've always felt like there's they're working towards an endgame. I just have not been able to get any sense of what it is. I just don't feel like it's the endgame that just they go into the season with $30 million fewer dollars on their payroll, and that's it. And that they've made a few trades here and there to – to address the fringe parts of their roster, and that's it. I don't think they're going to go into 2019 with what we see before us. That would be at the very sure hope not. <laughs> that would be at the very bottom of what I would expect. What's up, Linus? <laughs> yeah, I. They're. I mean, they have to do stuff, but it's okay. Well, hold on. Since you okay. since you wanted to find a way to clear more payroll, and you mentioned Kipnis, yes, they would love to do that. We know that they've tried to do that in the past. They haven't found a situation that has worked out. So if we agree that that is something that could help them immensely, whether it's through a pursuit of a major free agent or just to gain some more control and flexibility over their payroll for whatever reason, how are you going to go about getting that done? Because they've tried. It's not as if they haven't tried up to this point to, to move Jason Kipnis. It's not as simple as even with Yonder Alonso, he didn't have a crippling contract and you found somebody that was willing to take a chance on him 
partially because of his talent, partially because of his connection to his family in Manny Machado. So how do you go about doing that with Kipnis, who I don't think his brother-in-law is anybody that anyone wants to sign. And you have a gigantic pool of second basemen that are out there right now. So teams aren't going to be just lining up to trade for him. How do you go about clearing that money through a trade? And you and I have said many times on this podcast, I would prefer that not to happen through the trade of a starting pitcher because I don't think you should move Kluber or Bauer, whichever one ends up getting moved, if any. You cannot move one of those guys that really has much, if any, motivation tied to salary. It could be a bonus that you clear that money, but you have to get back players that help you and get back a gigantic return. And trading Kipnis as part of that is going to limit your return. You can't trade away a frontline starter and not get back the best talent package possible. So if that's off the table, how do you get it done? You, yeah, I mean, you attach something of value. Okay, but it. then what would well, it be? A prospect? Not a doctor. Yeah, sure. <laughs> or a big leaguer. I mean, it, it, it depends. It, it depends what team you're dealing with. This is probably – this could go either way. I mean, think about last year they came close to dealing them to the Mets. I mean, if you deal a prospect, if you stick a prospect with him, you open the door for, like, if I'm the Royals or the Tigers or uh, even the Mariners, I'm interested. Um, if you want to attach something of major league value – then maybe you get a contender interested. Though I think that is a little trickier. Um, but keep in mind, Kipnis is going to make about the same salary in 2019 that we expect AJ Pollock to make. So this is a big deal. This is like one final hurdle to where if they can move him, there really aren't bad salaries on the books. I mean, Carlos Santana is probably the only like maybe overpaid guy. And that's even... Overpaid by their standards, really. It's yeah, I don't think right, that right. that contract is underwater at the moment. So I, if, if they can move him and they should do everything they can to do it, and I'm sure they are, it, it's – I mean, it's like the wild, wild west. <laughs> they can go crazy. <laughs> can they use – okay, so prospects, yes. But you, you don't want to give away anything unless, unless you know that moving Kipnis almost guarantees you something that you need. I don't, I don't know that you could make that guarantee. You have to feel really good about it if you're moving a prospect for a hope that you're going to get involved in a free agent conversation. So without having that guarantee, it makes it really difficult to want to give away anybody that's a, a top five prospect in your system just to get sure, that sure. done. Now, you could move some salary for salary and kind of do what they did with Edwin. I don't know that there's anyone that just immediately jumps out as a possibility, but they, they could go that avenue. Maybe what about a guy like Danny Salazar who is making due to make four and a half million dollars that maybe a team wants to take a a flyer on. Would he be enough of a lottery ticket for somebody to move in a deal and then attach Kipnis and clear even more money? Maybe, or like Cody Anderson would fit. Um, I don't know. I, I I think it depends on the team. I think the Indians need to 
act with a sense of desperation on that front uh, just because really moving him just opens the door for so many things. And even if you don't go and get Bryce Harper or even AJ Pollock or something like just getting rid of Kipnis and, and you could do this either way. There are a glut of second basemen on the free agent market who can help this team. I mean, you stick DJ LeMahieu there, Brian Dozier. Um, there are upgrades and guys who you can sign to reasonable contracts for one or two years, and it could be a great fit. So I, I think – I really think moving Kipnis is critical, and I think if they move Kipnis, they're signing Bryce Harper. <laughs> if they get to that point. They're clearly – I mean, if they're getting to the point where they're moving that much salary, what they've done so far should be enough to give them flexibility if they just wanted to patch holes with Band-Aids, right? I, right. I think they could get by. It wouldn't be ideal. It wouldn't even be good probably. But you could get by with what they've created so far, fixing the rest of the roster. If they were to move Kipnis, however they got that done, and they moved that money – then it certainly would would be a lot more thinking emoji for me. It, the the conspiracy, I don't know for for Bryce or for Machado or for anybody else, but I mean it would feel like there is certainly something that they're really desperately trying to do. I you know I've even tried to think could it be shifting money around so that they can pay Francisco Lindor, they can get him locked up to. A, I don't buy that one. To a deal, I'm just trying to consider all. I don't know that I do either. I'm trying to consider everything that they could possibly do this offseason, <laughs> which I think they're also doing. It's in somewhere in an office. It's a progressive field. It could, could you save money now so that you could allocate it later for Lindor? Would you even be interested in a deal where you just lock him up for the rest of his arbitration years and you at least gain the the, the knowledge of what he's going to make for the next three years. I mean, that would be appealing to the Indians for sure. I don't know where, where Lindor would stand to gain anything. That's why I've never felt like a long-term deal just based on what we know right now was ever going to get done. Yeah. I, I don't see that happening. And I don't understand the idea that they've made all these trades just to lock him up long-term. He's going to get what he gets in arbitration the True. next three years regardless. And so if you need to save money for him, you're saving money four, five, six, seven years down the road. Um, but I, I, I come back to this though. Odds are, and this goes for whether they sign Bryce Harper or not. And I don't want people to, to run with this podcast. How many times are you going to say his name even on this podcast? At you this are point, so irresponsible. And and you know people are going to run with this and say, well, Zach and TJ said that the Indians were in on Bryce Harper. Like, it's it, it's not going to happen. I mean, it might. Just <laughs> no. stop, man. Pick a side right. on this. Either it's but, either there's a possibility or there's no possibility. But you're right. They still. I think I've switched sides here to where yes, I think some of the money dumping has helped with their leverage or they hoped it would help with their leverage with trading a starter because they could say, Hey, we don't need to fill all these holes via trade. Now we right. can fill them via free agency. I still think that might be the way to go. 
And today there have been rumors that the Reds are one team still talking to the Indians about Corey Kluber, maybe Trevor Bauer. I love that. That is the team. I know we've talked a lot about the Dodgers and how they match up well and how we can dream up a package of Verdugo and Jock Peterson and Yasiel Puig and, you know, 10 different catching prospects. The Reds intrigue me greatly because, one, the Reds are not winning a World Series in Kluber's three seasons remaining under control. Two, Nick Senzel, the prospect, has absolutely destroyed the baseball at every stop along the way in the minor leagues. He was the number two pick in 2016. He's really, really good, and he's ready now. And you'd get more. Like, maybe you get Amir Garrett or Rysel Iglesias, who could thrive as a setup man for Brad Hand. Maybe you get Jesse Winker, who's a really good young outfielder. I mean, there's so much possibility, and I laugh because it seems like the Reds always make this sort of move and just jump the gun (laughs) on their rebuild. Uh, and, And you don't have to worry about facing Kluber in the playoffs. Like... The the whole the hesitancy about trading with the Astros or the Yankees, which two teams who have plenty of pieces that could make for a, a great trade, is that you don't want to make those teams stronger. Right. Okay. Make the fourth best team in the NL Central stronger. <laughs> who cares? I just don't get that from the, the Reds perspective, based on the names that have been floated out already. I mean it, it has my interest. <laughs> you had you had my attention, now you have my interest, but I just the Reds have always struggled to see how those two teams come together and both walk away from the table feeling like they've accomplished what they wanted to. Now, maybe I'm just overestimating what the Reds are going to get done here. But just knowing what the asking price has been from what we've heard on either Kluber or Bauer and looking at what the Reds are right now, I just, I don't, why would it make sense for them? I just don't get it. Because they're bizarre. I mean, think about if you swung a trade with them and you could come close to fixing your bullpen, you could add a really nice young piece that you'd have control over for the next, what, six, seven years, and then still have money to go out and sign A.J. Pollock or and more. Like, that's, I mean, the, the issue I have had is if anyone, like, I know it's not opening day. But if you look at the potential lineup right now and you think, all right, like Lindor, Santana, Ramirez, and then what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, is, is Jake Bowers hitting fourth? I don't know who's hitting Kipnis fourth. Kipnis fifth, Roberto Perez sixth, <laughs> and like Wayne Kirby seventh? I mean, I, I don't get it. So, so I they, guess they I can't have use a him lot. as the random Indian later. <laughs> they have a lot to fix. And think about just plugging in Senzel and Winker and then Pollock. And all of a sudden, your lineup is deadly. And then maybe assign Dozier to play second, something like Like, this is how I think you have to do it. And I know they're not in a position where it's absolute, like, desperation. You're on the edge of a cliff. You have to trade Kluber. Right. But I still think it makes the most sense to give you not only the most well-rounded roster in 2019, but a way to have just a loaded roster for like five or six years. Yeah, I mean, there was a big misconception put out there, which was mostly just speculation, I think. But the way it was put out there was made like it was fact that 
through the money that they've moved so far that it made it severely unlikely that they were going to trade Kluber or Bauer. That's not the case at all. What it did was it gave them some added leverage. It gave them ability to walk away from the table if they don't find exactly what they want. And they don't have to make a financially motivated move in either one of those cases. Again, to stress this for the 427th time, you can't make a trade with one of those frontline guys with clearing salary as being one of the major components of the trade. It doesn't make sense to me. I think you'd get hoodwinked in that situation. And through moving these, this, this money through the three-way trade, yonder trade, Jan Gomes trade, now you've, you're in a position where you're just able to be holding more cards at the table, have more leverage, the ability to walk away. But it didn't mean that it, they weren't going to trade one of those guys. I think the odds were pretty much unchanged. It was just that they could feel better about their return being motivated just by the package that they were going to get back, not right. anything financially. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Uh, this is <laughs> – did you think we were going to get to this point, like when they got eliminated by the Astros, we're like, all right, they're going to have to find ways to get better. I didn't think it was going to get this. No, no, it did. But you, I actually – And I'll say this. I think both things can be true at once. Again, skeptical that they're going to be able to get everything done that they want to and that they're going to be a better team in 2019 for it. But also seeing what they're trying to get done here and understanding and appreciating it. I guess it's weird to take both of those thoughts and and make them real in your own head. I I feel like I'm able to do that, maybe more capable than, than some are. That's not to say that we're not going to get to the end of this offseason and I'm going to look at what they did and say, well, I agree with everything that they did. No, I, I mean, we're, we're still teetering on the edge of very much looking at them, shaking my head and very curious right. about what their thought process and ended up becoming. But at least where we're at right now, I appreciate what they're trying to do. And I, as, as we said at the start of the offseason, when really a lot of these rumors started to kick up, I'm okay with with doing something different, shaking things up. I think they needed to just based on the way the roster had kind of gotten old, kind of gotten non-functional. You had so many holes with what they were going to bring back in 2019. I was okay if they were going to take things in a different direction, but in through, through trying to thread this needle, it's going to get really difficult and you could make some really critical errors along the way. Maybe that's unfair to say that you can be, kind of anxious to see where they go and then use the benefit of hindsight later to say, well, you screwed up, but they're in this position for a reason. There's a reason why you and I are not in that room. It's them making those decisions and we're just here to analyze it. I still think, I still think they could come out of the other side having a really, really good off season. I think that the, the odds are not too far against that, but I I think anybody that's saying that, like, I, I know there was one, report out there that the Indians have already had a great offseason. Well, how do you know that right now? You don't know that right, right now. They have not had a great offseason. They've set themselves up to potentially have a great offseason, but we're not there yet. I still think there's an avenue in which they can get there. But I also clearly see anybody that is skeptical about them getting there, and I, I understand why they feel that way. Along those lines, what are your thoughts on Michael Brantley 
joining the Astros two years, $32 million. It makes sense for Houston, especially with, given the way that their offense has shifted over the past few years, and now they put so much emphasis on contact bats, guys that you spray the ball around, and we know that's Brantley's M.O. Then we put him in left field where he's going to have to cover the surface area of my garage, basically. It, yep. make, it, make, it makes a ton of sense for them. I, Having said that, I am – now this is with the – with no knowledge of what they're going to end up doing. I'm okay. If the Indians use that money elsewhere, they got to use it smart. <laughs> they, they, can't, they can't either pocket it or spend it unwisely, but I am okay with them going towards some other bigger picture with this money and not spending it on Brantley. Does that make sense at all? Sure. Sure. He, yeah, he's, he's the perfect fit for Houston. Um, and I think that's the worst part of it for the Indians is that he's going to that team where, you know he's going to thrive, and if he stays healthy, like I don't think you're kicking yourself for leaving, but you're kicking yourself for not like hacking into the Astro system and yikes! Wait, can't say that. That's been done. Um, just it's the worst possible team for him to sign with if you're the Indians. Uh, and and you're right. Like you now, you they've just put themselves in a position where like if they don't go above and beyond yeah the rest of the winter it's gonna look bad and and i just keep coming back to the fact that i, I don't think money solves problems in baseball I, I i mean think you're obviously at an advantage if you have a higher payroll because you can absorb bad contracts and like the indians were hamstrung for two years because swisher and Bourne ate up so much of the payroll and they sucked uh so there are advantages there, but I, I don't think like if the Indians spent 10 to 15 million more this winter, it would just make all their problems go away. However, like they have to spend every penny they've saved, or this is going to look really yeah. bad to a fan base that you are claiming is the reason that you can't spend more. And it's like this terrible cycle. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I feel just, I feel like I'm caught in the middle with this because I, I you know we hear it from both fans, both sides of this debate. I we hear it constantly from those that are in full panic mode right now, and to them I preach patience because I still think there's a scenario where they come out of this feeling pretty good about their off season. They've set themselves up to make some pretty smart moves, but then there are those that that we talk to that say. Everything is fine. Everything is calm. And I tell them, no, not necessarily. You know, there, there is another side of this where it could all blow up in their face. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be as fair and unbiased in this as possible. As I said, I, to be in their position, having cleared the money that they've cleared, I would be really excited because I'm thinking about all the possibilities that they've given themselves, that they've created. And they're in a market here. You know, we've talked about this for the last two years. How many times have we said, when nobody's spending, that's when you should be spending. That's when you want to zig when everyone else is zagging. And if they can be a team that all of a sudden finds themselves buying in a market that may be down a little bit, and maybe that's what the, the Brantley contract ended up showing us, that the outfield market for guys that have been hurt in their careers isn't exactly what we think it was going to be. I thought Brantley would get three years. He ends up getting two. So I was a little surprised by that. And again, you can – Yeah, but McCutcheon you, got like 12 years for 500 I was going to say you could turn around and say, well, McCutcheon – I thought that contract was probably maybe a little bit above what I thought, but still not completely ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure he's smiling today thinking about that contract. But 
if the outfield market is kind of coming down a little bit from what we thought it was going to be, and all of a sudden the Indians find themselves with some money to spend, then they could be in a really good position here where they can turn around and use that money where other teams are trying to do what they're doing. But the Indians have been able to jump out in front and get some of this stuff done now. So when you get to a point, and hopefully it's soon, where they start to exit phase one of this rebuild and enter phase two, and I'm using the term rebuild as if they're reimagining, you know, they're going to have to get there. But I also, you know, I, I just, I want to be fair throughout this because I, I could see it going both ways. I just want everyone to consider everything before they make their final determination of what this offseason is going to be. As of today, as we record this, we still have no idea what it's going to be. Yeah, it's, it's December 19th, and this thing is moving slower than it did last winter. And it's, it's funny, it's, you know, the NBA free agent period starts at like midnight on July 1st, and every good player has <laughs> it's signed It's over by, by midnight 04. <laughs> yeah, night. I think we, we call it 1204 in America, but um, yeah, imagine like, imagine it being August 30th and like Paul George still hasn't signed and there are no, there, there aren't even rumors like. That's the crazy part is like I, I assume the Dodgers and the Phillies and the White Sox are in on Bryce Harper. Who else? Nationals. They're kind of just sitting back saying, hey, if you want to sign with us, we'll find you. <laughs> and it's like it, it's so bizarre. I know Machado's meeting with teams, but like baseball, everything moves at a snail's pace. And so it, what's crazy is because of that, the Indians have had this time to shed all this paper. Yeah. Maybe they can get into and And even if. The other part is even if they don't get in on the Harper Machado sweepstakes, like I don't think AJ Pollock is going to sign. I mean, maybe he will, but like there will be outfielders out there for you to sign until these guys, the big name signs. So I, I don't know. There's, there's time for the Indians to use this to their advantage, um, but they still have to do it. Okay. The hard part is left to do. Agreed. Which is why we should put them ourselves in their position because I feel like we've sort of had the same take, just updating it every week, sometimes every few days, based on the move, the most recent move that they've made. But we both agree that it's too early to make any sort of determination that this could very easily blow up in their face or it end up it could end up working out well for them. It's all going to be based on how much money they reallocate back to the roster and the moves that they make. So that's all agreed. We're all on the same page here. I hope so at this point. After like the 7,000th time saying it. The question now is, what would you do in their position? You're, you're in their chair right now. And let's say you are able to turn around and whatever you save, you're able to, within reason, spend back on the roster. What would be the, the, the moves that you're making at this point now? I'm trading a starting pitcher with the Reds in 30 seconds, uh, assuming I can get back everything I want, which would be Senzel, Winker, and one of their two good relievers. Um, and that, that's a lot. I don't know that the Reds would agree to that. I don't know why the Reds are interested in Kluber or Bauer anyway, but I would do that. I would – I mean, honestly, I, I would probably – it's crazy. I'd, I'd go after Bryce Harper, and I, I would let – It's not your money. Who cares? Well, 
I've seen the way you run the Cleveland Rocks. There is no payroll future. It's just living (laughs) in the moment, man. Think about it, though. Even if you gave him a 10-year deal, he's going to want opt-out clauses, right? Those can actually benefit you because then maybe you're not on the hook for the whole thing. And not only that, I truly think they need to do something to maintain relevance. Like, Brown's tickets are going to be going crazy next year and it's going to get to September and no one's going to care that the Indians lead the AL Central by 15 games. They're going to care that Baker Mayfield is starting this Sunday night football game against the Steelers. Like I'm not saying that you should let that completely influence how you operate, but it needs to play a role because they've said attendance is so critical to their revenue stream. And I don't know whether to believe that or not. I don't know if they've lost or made money. We've talked about this over and over again. So we're going to stay indifferent and not take a side on that. But you need to galvanize your fan base and reinvigorate them. And limping to spring training with an outfield of Jordan Luplo and even if you traded with the Reds, like Jesse Winker, like that's not going to get people excited. Like if they traded Kluber to the Reds and they acquired the three players I just named, I think a lot of the fan base would think would put that in the category of Sabathia and Lee and think they just traded Kluber for prospects because Senzel has not made his major league debut. Yeah. Like, so I think, I don't know. I'd settle for AJ Pollock and David Robertson, but I don't know. I would be interested in Bryce Harper. (laughs) Who wouldn't at this point, if you can move that money, I'm with you. I would also trade a starting pitcher, by the way, even though, I, when I tweeted out the, what I said earlier, it's about just giving them some added leverage through these trades and means that they can make a move based just on talent, that there were some that read that as me saying, well, they're not going to trade anybody. That's not what I'm saying they are going to do or what I am saying that they should do. I think they should trade a starting pitcher, provided you get something pretty close to what you've been demanding the entire time. Of all the teams we've heard so far, I have a feeling – Maybe it's unfair, but I feel like the easiest team to to rip off in this scenario would be the Reds. I don't know why I feel that way, but I just do. Just based on what we've heard so far and the fact that they're Have even... Have you seen Homer Bailey's contract? <laughs> the, the fact that they're even interested to begin with right. in s- such a weird part of their part of their build back up to, to relevancy. So I, at this point, maybe feel like they would be the team that I could get, the, get back the most for, even though I don't see how it makes sense for them. But okay, let's say we do that. That would be on the, the docket of things that I want to do. I would absolutely be looking to move Kipnis's contract. I'm prepared to, if a team really thought that much of the lottery ticket that is Danny Salazar. You know, for me, I said that if they thought that he was going to contribute at all in 2019, that they, they should give him or they should tender him. In this case, they ended up giving $400 million uh, in I thought that was fine, given that you're not going to spend $4.5 million on the free agent market and get back a guy with that sort of ceiling. But if I could move him in a deal with Kipnis, get back a little something, and clear all that money so that I can really have some fun in the free agent market, I am all about that, too. I would be finding any way to move that last bit of money. Then it's not so crazy to think that the Indians could play for a, a mega free agent. I, The only thing that I wonder, Zach, is – how let's say that this this conspiracy theory that you've come up with is true 
How do you have these conversations with an agent? How do you even let them know that you're even remotely serious when that's not your MO one? And if that's even out there, if you've had any sort of discussion, even to find out remotely what they're interested in, wouldn't that have leaked already? I mean, think of the agents. Mystery team. But somebody would have talked. Somebody would have said something. But even if, okay, that's not the case, do you have enough time to move the money that you need to and still jump on one of these conversations before it's over? I mean, right now, seems like the play is for Machado to come in, wine and dine him, and make him feel loved. Do they have time to get in on? They would be playing from behind where other teams already know that they're playing in that category. Well, but they, keep in mind, I mean, how long did it take them to dump Alonzo's contract after they made the Encarnacion trade? 0. 0.6 seconds. <laughs> right. It was almost so, immediately. I mean, it's, this is, it's not like they're just calling teams right now and saying, hey, True. you want Jason Kipnis plus something? Like, they've been doing this for a year. They know what teams might be interested and in. And I, I agree. And I would be into attaching something of limited values. Salazar, I would be interested in. What about in. Yu Chang Chang? I would not trade Chang in a deal that just dumps Kipnis. I would have, I would, but but there are other there are other prospects that they could. I mean, I I really think the I'm not I'm not moving anybody in the top five who, who I no, would consider no, like no, a top no. five prospect. No, but end of top ten maybe depending on who it is and how you would see them fitting on the team. Uh, no, I, I I just I don't know that you. If a team wanted that, then no, I, I would not be prepared to just give that away just to clear this money in a hope that you might be able to get something really, really big done. Right, right. But what about I, – I, I think the easiest route there is, is dealing Kipnis to a non-contender, sticking a prospect with him. Um, because you can agree on a prospect. Like that's – it's a lot tougher with major league talent. Sure. But – one other thing I wanted to make note of, um, going back to the a trade with the Reds, I think I mentioned this to you during the winter meetings. We've heard Chris Antonetti say over and over again, like they'll add a veteran catcher at some point this offseason, yes. probably to compete with Eric Haas for the backup job, or if there even is a backup starter divide. I mean, I don't. Roberto Perez hasn't really done anything to say he needs to start 150 games next year. Uh, Tucker Barnhart with Cincinnati has a very affordable contract signed for a few more years and is like the perfect guy for them to acquire, to split time with Roberto Perez behind the plate. Um, so I would not be shocked to see him's name mentioned. If a trade trade rumors with the Reds, if they should intensify, <laughs> um, which it's amazing. I wonder what the, happened with those trade talks with the Dodgers. They just intensified and then fizzled fizzled. Yeah. But uh, I mean, how do you feel after someone yells at you over the phone or maybe in person? You probably say, nah, that's all right. We're going to go in a different direction. Although you're usually the one doing the yelling in these trade negotiations. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if talks are going to intensify, <laughs> they better get somewhere or not. Like we just kind of swept that under the rug. It's just they did they detensify at any point? <laughs> uh, I think what everyone has forgotten here is that the Indians in this three-way trade – for 
Edwin and, and Carlos Santana, Yandy Diaz being involved, some money fl- flipping hands. What everyone has forgotten is that the Indians acquired the next J.D. Martinez in the trade because they got Jake Bowers, who was working with Craig Wallenbrock, who is at the forefront of a lot of hitters, including J.D. Martinez working some with him, revamping their swing and unlocking the monster within. Well, if he is not an all-star who hits 35 home runs this season, I think a lot of people are going to point the finger at you. (laughs) Hey, I appreciate any time I can chat with someone that is thoughtful and engaging, especially when I've never talked to him ever before and got his phone number and called it within 10 minutes. And he gave me 15 minutes of a pretty good interview. So he won me over just how easy it was to, have a conversation with him and you know that's like 90 percent of our job what we care about the other 10 percent of what they do on the field eh, it's not that big of a deal right do you want to do a random indian yeah absolutely all right this you stumped me with derek lilliquist who was pitching before i was born uh so i'm gonna give you someone more fair who was in the uh heights of the the glory days of the Indians. Okay. He played 62 games for Cleveland in his 18-year career. Okay. 18 years. Uh, he was twice an all-star, neither time with the Indians. Um, and he was once the first overall pick of the amateur draft. Wow. Okay. Uh, 16 games, 18-year career. Yeah. Holy smokes. 60, 62 games. Oh, 62. Sorry. 62 games. Position player. Uh, I wish I knew. I had any knowledge of who was taken number one overall in past drafts. Okay. Um, boy, this is tough. I don't want to give anything away. His last major league game did not come with the Indians, but it was in 2002. So he played from – he was the first pick in 82, and then he played from 85 to 02. Wow. I can't rem- – who would have played with the Indians and had that much cachet in their career but only played a short time with the Indians? Number one overall pick. Uh the 62 games is what – if I, if it was really short-term, I was thinking of a few names. But I can't think of anybody that would have played 62 games with the Indians. I need some more help. Yeah, so the way to figure this out is to think, why would this established player have only played 62 games with the Indians? And you know it's during that time period when they were really good. Yes. So the answer is because he was traded. Exactly. I can't tell you the details of the trade, though. That would give it away. I can give you the year. 1998. 1998. 62 games. Why can I not picture who would it would have been? He was 35 at the time. They, there were so many of those random ex-sluggers that they kept bringing in. There was now this this guy played more. He played all over the place, really, infield and outfield. 
98, 62 games. Uh, what color are those red fire <laughs> I can't. Uh... I have no idea. Who did they trade for in 98? 98 would have been. It's the first year at Fryman at third base. Uh, it's very interesting. He batted, like, he switched. I don't know if he had, like, a very distinguished split uh, differential. He, like, he hit ninth a lot and hit second and third a lot. This is actually really bizarre looking at this. Was it, no, 62 games in 98. I almost said Sean Dunstan, but he – I don't think he played that long that year. And he didn't come over in a trade. Well, I'm not I'm not answering whether you're correct or not, but this player, he signed with the Indians and they traded him ah, in 98. Well, then was it Sean Dunstan? It was Sean Dunstan, yeah. Why did he bounce around from like second – hitting second <laughs> and third and then a lot of times hitting ninth? He, his splits were – identical in his career i don't know i mean there was probably a lot of times you wanted to get your worst hitter up to the two spot no marviscal <laughs> and then a, a week before the trade deadline they tell him jose mesa and your boy alvin mormon to the giants for jacob cruz and steve reed jacob cruz former top prospect just shows you you know every time you think you're Trading for a prospect, and it's going to be a can't-miss guy. Just think back to Jacob Cruz. Is Verdugo the next Cruz? So maybe the Indians shouldn't trade Corey Kluver? Is that what you're saying? I guess not. I'm just going to have to walk back everything I just said. Keep your pitching. Don't do anything. Stick some Band-Aids on the roster. 2019. I guess let's just go with this. Well, except for Bryce Harper. <laughs> I, I still can't believe that you've brought that up as a legitimate discussion point. Yeah, it's, I, again, it's going to be I think hilarious can... when we're sitting there at the press conference, like a month from now, and you're just looking at me like, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. Just remember who had it first. <laughs> I will. Riley. Oh well, you can you have... find the podcast where <laughs> you can find it. Uh, it can in the conspiracy theory aisle at your local bookstore. Uh, you can also find it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Anchor, Overcast, Pocket Cast. I could go on and on and on. But we do thank all of you that have subscribed recently, including those that have left reviews. You know, I was going to read uh, – we got one this week that was really nice, some very kind words, and I had pulled it up. I was going to read it, and Apple Podcast had taken it down. So apparently that review Why? is gone. I don't know, man. What? It just was gone. They said that they love the podcast and they can't wait for it every single week. And I was going to give them a nice shout out. And then I pull it up today and it's gone. So in this world where there's just so much negativity and, you know, you go on social media and everyone's just <laughs> bitching about something. Finally, someone says something nice. Yes. And the world is just like, nope, can't have that. Yes, that's exactly what happened. I did want to give a shout out. I believe uh, Nick Palumbo had given us a Nick. five star. 
uh, review, which we appreciate. But I really wish I could find the one that somebody left us, and it is gone. So if you recently left us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and you go on there today and it's gone, I want to know what happened. I think you got shadow banned. So you need to go in there and drop another five-star review. Or maybe they changed their mind because we potted three times last week. (laughs) They were like, man, this is way too much. So is this going to be our last one before we break for Christmas? It depends when they sign Harper. I don't know when that's coming down. (laughs) Do we break into holiday programming for that one? Do we let people wonder what we think of it? Because that would be such a... That'll be such we a cliffhanger. We interrupt Hayden Grove's Christmas album with this <laughs> podcast. Oh, man. If you ever wanted to get a lot of five-star reviews, that would be one way to do it. <laughs> anyway, I, let, let me say before someone, some blog writes a post saying. Oh, sure. Drop it in at the 50-minute mark of the podcast, your <laughs> disclaimer, man. I don't think <laughs> at this current moment the Indians are going to sign Bryce Harper. Um but I do think if they can dump Jason Kipnis, they should have a lot of money to fill their holes. And it'll be very interesting to see how they do that. And who doesn't like having their holes filled? All right. Well, see you again next week, everybody. On that note. <laughs> thank you to Seuss, uh, those that have subscribed to The Athletic as well recently. We thank each and every one of you. And we've got some gift subscriptions going on, too. If you're looking for a last-minute holiday, something or other to give people. Check out our gift subscriptions. You can give a gift away of The Athletic. I think my mom has subscribed 42 times and giving it out, has given it out as a gift. I keep telling her, Mom, you have to sign up on the bottom of my articles so I get the credit. She keeps giving away gift subscriptions to everybody. You got Zach Jackson probably picking up my subscriptions. Thanks a lot, Mom. You're supposed to subscribe on my stuff. But we do thank each and every one of you that have considered giving away the gift of The Athletic. And... Any parting words? Anything else that you could shock the people with this week? No. Uh, have a Christmas ale this week and remind me if I owe you one. And uh, I'm sure I'll be out and about in Cleveland. If you see me and show me on your phone, you subscribe to our podcast, left a five-star review, I'd happily purchase you a beverage. And we will see all of you at the Bryce Harper press conference. Rob. What? No. See ya. Yeah.